0: Well, good morning, Disciples. Uh, As we talked about last week, Disciples is the the term that is most often used to describe who Christians are in the New Testament. Way more than Christian, which is only used a handful of times. uh, Disciples used over 500 times to describe who we are. We are followers of Jesus. We're disciples of Jesus. We're apprentices of Jesus who are learning to live in the way that he teaches through his teaching as well as through his life, how he lived here on earth and how we will live in the life to come in the kingdom of God as it in breaks into this world. As we continue to look at discipleship today and what that means for us, what it means to follow Jesus. I just want to really quickly remind us of last week and, and particularly the challenge that we gave at the end. We said, uh, the challenge that we could take on is to remind ourselves of the gospel each week, and to remind of another Christian, of the gospel each week, because the gospel uh, really is the the starting point of our following Jesus. This gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, uh, resurrection, and the offer of new life that He gives us, that He came for us to offer the life of heaven to us and build His kingdom through us. The ministry of the church is often, within the church, a ministry of reminding each other exactly what the gospel is and reminding each other how we can live according to it, how we can uh, supersaturate our lives so much with the gospel that we can't help be, but be transformed by it. So our following Jesus really does start with the gospel, So if you want that reminder for yourself, you can go and check out last week. But today, we're going to continue on to look at another call of discipleship, another call to discipleship rather. Uh, Throughout the gospels, the the disciples, Jesus' first apostles, the 12, um, have stories of their calling to follow Jesus. And we took a look at um, some of them in the past. Last week, we took a look at one that asked us to pick up our cross and follow to pick up our cross and follow to whoever Jesus is leading. And today we're going to look at the final call that the apostles are given in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up there, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Go all the way to the end of the Gospel. We've been working with these value practices for our church that describe who we are and who we want to become. And we've said we want to be a people of discipleship who whose faith is expressed through our following Jesus by being obedient to scripture, which is really the primary calling of God's people to be a people who follow Jesus wherever he leads and, and, and does so in obedience to him. Discipleship then means uh, that, that, that we're being invited into a journey And sometimes we don't really think about it that way, but that's really what's happening. We are invited into a journey, and it's implied in the phrasing, following Jesus. Well, where are we following Jesus? Where, to, and where from? From and to are destination descriptions. Where have we come from? Where are we going? Well, discipleship is that journey of following Jesus to where he leads us. We're told it's towards God's kingdom. It's towards the life that that God has for us that begins now but continues into forever. Here's the issue for us as human beings. We could fall in love with the journey. We can get into this mindset where we just love the process of following so much. We love the journey so much that we start to ignore the one who is leading the journey. And without that love of the person who's leading, we're bound to abandon him and go our own way. Human beings are are radically self-centered in a number of different ways, and one of the ways is that if we think that we have it all together, we think that we have it all together and we will lead ourselves rather than allow anyone else to lead us, let alone the God of the universe, to lead us. If we fall in love with the journey more than we love the person who is leading us, that is Jesus, we're in a dangerous spot as believers, and it never turns out well in Scripture. In fact, in Revelation, churches are told, if you abandon your first love, it's actually going to cause Jesus to abandon you. So when we see a call to mission in the early parts of the gospel, um, when we see Jesus saying, hey, follow me, it's often an invitation into the journey. He's saying, I am going on this journey. I want you to come with me, come alongside me and learn from me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of people. But that call eventually shifts a little bit because we're not just called towards projects. Actually, we're often not called towards projects. We're called towards a person, to following a person, to imitating a person, to centering our lives on a person. And if we replace that person with any other thing, we get off track in our following. To put all of this another way, it is possible to love the mission more than we love Jesus, to love Activities that we do for Jesus, preaching or pastoring, serving um, in in a multitude of different ways, more than we love Jesus. It is possible to love theology, the study of God, more than you love Jesus. It's actually possible, I think, to love Jesus' teaching more than we love Jesus. And maybe above all, it's possible, and I think we could see this in our own lives if we really did an introspective look. We love sometimes the things that we do more than who we do them for. And if we do, those are all signs. We've lost our first love. We've lost our first love. That is, and that's really to lose the most important love that our hearts could be oriented towards, be directed towards. We see this dynamic in the life of Jesus' disciples, but particularly in the life of Peter. Peter, throughout all of the Gospels, is used as sort of the um, is is shown as sort of the leader of the apostles, but also as a as an archetype of the apostles. He speaks on behalf of them, and describes what's going on, maybe in their own, in the, in their minds, and is representative of them. But Jesus singles him out again and again, because. Um, Peter, Peter is passionate and he wants to follow Jesus wherever Jesus leads, and he's but he's very prideful in doing that, and he doesn't he thinks he can just jump into things and go full tilt. He's called to be, by Jesus, to be a, a fisher of people, and that and he's followed Jesus and he's pridefully said in the past of the Gospels, um, he's he's told Jesus, I am never gonna walk away from you. Jesus says, you know, all of you are going to leave me. Peter says, no, not me. I'm going to stick with you. Even as Jesus prophesied that he would leave. So during Jesus' trial before his crucifixion, Peter denied, knowing Jesus, denied being a disciple of Jesus three times and then ran away, abandoning him to the cross. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he had to confront peter and this is what we're going to read this this um small confrontation between them uh and 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 i think it has a lot to say to us today so let's read it it's in john 21 it's verses 15 through 19 so if you have a bible open it up there you can just uh hopefully you've already had it open up to john 21 it's right at the end you might have to flip one page but Verse fifteen. This is after Jesus has appeared to the disciples. He has um, told them to go fishing in the in the day, which is actually a, is a is a sign of desperation because you don't fish in the day, particularly in the in the morning when you're fishing with nets. So Jesus um, sees a bunch of them fishing. Says, "Go throw out your nets." They bring in a huge catch, and Peter, realizing who it was, um, jumps out of the boat and and <laughs> swims all the way to Jesus. It's really funny. It's a a, a really funny scene. Um, But in, in this passage, now, they've finished eating their catch. They've finished eating breakfast. And Jesus turns to Simon Peter and he says this, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and where and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The words that describe the call of all disciples, follow me, follow me. Now there's some interesting stuff happening in this passage, and and if you've ever heard this passage preached before, you've probably heard uh, the preacher make a big deal of the use of the different words for love. We have one word in English for love, it's love. In Greek, there were at least four, and they all meant slightly different things, but there's a whole bunch of debate about whether the differences between them were extremely substantial or whether they were just slight and and meant to have um, a linguistic flair, but not describing radically separate things. So in the past, we would have looked at this verse and, and noticed that Jesus and Peter tend to use different words for love. So when Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter responds, you know I love you. They actually use different words, and I'll, I'll describe them in a second. Um, and it's often... Been described as Jesus saying, "Do you fully commit yourself to me?" and Peter saying, "Oh, I sort of, I, I really like you. Basically, I like you. I love you like a brother." Um, but I think that's actually much too extreme. We should pay attention to the to the fact that they're using different words, but I, I actually think there's not as much of a difference between them as is often made out. Um, especially because just how John uses these words in his gospel. So you can circle them. Uh, in your Bible, when Jesus says, "Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these?" you can circle that and write in agape, A G A P E, and that's the word that Jesus uses the first two times. Do you agape me? And interestingly, he says, "More than these, hey, eh? more than these," uh, and it seems to he, he seems to be indicating more than the disciples. He's calling back to the time when Peter was with the disciples around the table. And Peter said, I will never deny you. Because what happens after that? He denies Jesus three times. So Jesus is calling him back into that, into that experience and into the mental state of being able to think about that experience and says, do you agape me? Peter says, I phileo you. P-H-I-L-E-O. That's Peter's word. And we can just pay attention to the fact that they use two different words. Which seems to me to indicate that John wants us to pay attention to the use of these words, not because they're radically different, but because it's going to build to something important. And so the slight difference in meaning we're just going to ignore, it's just, I think, the different use of the words is meant to force us to ask, what's going on here? what's going on here and and pique our interest and forces us to pay a little bit more attention. So, Jesus says, do you love me? Do you agape me more than these? Peter says, you know that I phileo you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Next, in verse 16, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. So again, they use the two different words. Then verse 17, the third time he said to him, this is Jesus, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Do you phileo me? And Peter was hurt, it says. Peter was hurt. We see here, That Jesus has flipped the language, and Peter has been saying, yes, I phileo you, yes, I phileo you. Well, Jesus has been asking, do you agape me? And now Jesus flips the language to say, do you phileo me? Well, Peter's already been saying it. He's been saying it. He's been saying it in that way. And so it disappoints him that he'd be asked it again. He's hurt. This heightens the drama of the situation, because Peter's already said, yes, I phileo you to Times The third time, it fills him with disappointment so much that he has to sort of recalibrate how he is viewing the conversation and the situation that he is in with Jesus in answering these questions. Instead of just saying, you know that I phileo you, you know that I love you, he says, Lord, you know all things. He stops appealing to himself and saying, "Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you." It's like, and it, it's it's now even more than that. It's, you are the God of the universe who knows all things. You know that I love you. You certainly know. And Jesus, in response, connects his previous two um, descriptions of how Peter is to respond: feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. In one place, feed my sheep. What in the world is going on here? I think Jesus is doing a bit of surgery on Peter. He's he's doing a bit of surgery on Peter's heart because Peter is the disciple that has denied him three times. He is the disciple who ran away, who who has failed, um, and and whose failure is second only to the failure of Judas in handing over Jesus to be crucified. And so if if Peter is to continue into ministry, he has to get over this failure in some sense. And the thing is, he can't do it on his own. And neither can we. And so Jesus reproaches him and says, do you love me? He's, like I said, bringing Peter back to the time of his failure when he denied Jesus. And he's getting him to reflect on what he's done. And in, in that way, he's humbling Peter. He's trying to show Peter you are dependent on me and you need to own up. You need to face the thing that you have done. You denied me three times. I'm going to ask you, do you love me three times to really drive home the, <coughs> the, the grace of the commission that is to be given. So he says, do you love me? This isn't some random test. This is Jesus bringing Peter to his lowest point so he can raise him up through a recommissioning. Do you love me? He knows that Peter loves him. And so he says, feed my sheep. A call to action. All verbs, feed, well, to the t- two core verbs, feed my sheep. A description of what Peter is called to do. Feed my sheep my sheep not feed your sheep jesus doesn't say um, all of all the people who follow me are now yours he says feed my sheep this is a description of peter's ministry to the church that he would then go on to later fulfill and we can see this heart for feeding and protecting god's sheep in his letters of first and second peter do you love me yes you know all things you know that I love you, so feed my sheep. And in verse 18 and 19, Very truly I tell you, Jesus says, When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Hey, this is essentially him saying, You're going to go where I went. They had had a discussion about the cross and Jesus um. And, and, and the disciples saying, we are going to go with you. We are going to sit on your right hand and your left. And, then, and, and Jesus says, you have no idea what you are asking. And now Peter is the one who says, okay, you know that thing you were asking for before? You are going to be led into it. You are going to stretch out your arms. People are going to stretch out your hands like this. And another will clothe you, or you could actually describe this as tying, and will lead you where you don't want to go. This is all a sort of play on words and metaphor describing crucifixion. Because oftentimes, not only were you, would your hands be nailed in to a cross, you would actually be tied up as a just to make sure you stayed there, because your flesh could rip, in fact. You will, people will stretch out your hands. Another will clothe you. And you'll be led to where you don't want to go. And what happens to Peter? We're told in church history uh, that that Peter was crucified like Jesus was. Now we might hear this as awful, Jesus saying, you're going to go die on a cross. But I think for Peter, this was a comfort. Not because he was looking to die, But because after all of his failure, after his denials, Jesus was saying, you are going to lose your life for me. And in doing that, you are going to find salvation. You are going to have your life saved. You're going to lose your life for me. And by losing it, you're going to find it. You're going to find the, the depths of the life that I have for you. And so he gives a final commission. Follow me. A present tense commission. A commission meant for today. Not tomorrow or yesterday, but for today. For us to follow, for Peter to follow. Follow me. And keep following in humility, in dependence, and in obedience. Because you can only really... Continue to listen to the command if you're obedient to it. Follow me. Follow me. In our walk with God, in our walk as disciples following Jesus, I think we can get into different cycles that maybe Peter was in as well. And, and, and our cycles look often like we, we sin and then we confess and repent of our sin. And then after a while we repeat the process, we, we sin, and then we confess, and we repent, and then repeat. Sin, confess, repent, repeat. And this becomes the cycle of our life. Sin, confess, repent, repeat. And getting stuck in that cycle stops us from being able to be transformed by God's Spirit. Oftentimes I think we are like Peter. We are coming to Jesus every Sunday after living a week of denying him. And maybe expect him to say, I want nothing to do with you. You denied me three times. I want nothing to do with you. You lived in the opposite way of my commands. I want nothing to do with you. We expect Jesus to turn his back on us. And it makes us start to think, well, I'm just a huge failure. God could never use a failure like me, somebody who can't even do the basics of following him. Or, on the converse, or on the opposite, we could start to say, I can feel better about myself if I just start doing more for God. And so we say, I've failed, and the best way to stop feeling the pressures of that failure is to just do more and more and more and more. And we do that in the context of this cycle of sin, confess, repent, repeat, And it just actually makes everything worse. It makes us feel worse. It crushes us slowly but surely. But I think what Jesus has to say to us is not a word of condemnation. But exactly what he's been saying to Peter in this passage. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And we can respond. Jesus says to us, do you agape me? And we say, of course we do. Look at all the things we do for you, Jesus. Of course we love you. And then he would ask again, do you love me? Of course we do. We've given our lives to you, Jesus. We try to follow you in all things. Do you love me? And it's that third time that always kicks because by that point, you should be at the end of your rope and saying, Well, like, I've given my life to you. I do all these things for you. I've, I've sacrificed for you. Why do you keep asking, Do you love me? And the only response we can give is, Lord, you know that we do. And what is our Lord's response? Follow me. Follow me. This is the same for us. We can get into these habits of failure and then self-talk that begins to tear away at our faith. And what does Jesus want to do to us? He wants to do surgery upon our hearts to help us realize that our failures aren't the end of us. They bring us to our end so that he can commission us and draw us into a better future not by our own power, not by our own works, but by his power at work in and through us, by the power of his spirit. Jesus wants to do surgery on us to remove our pride, just like he does with Peter. And as he removes our pride, it's to deepen our faith in him, deepen our humility, deepen our dependence, and enable us to be more obedient in our day-to-day life as we follow him. And we realize, too, that Peter's description of what he's supposed to do, feed my sheep, feed and tend to the, to the flock, are, are Jesus' ways of talking about the church. We shouldn't lose sight of this, that there is no sense biblically where we can confess our love for Jesus and then turn our back fully on the church. The church may hurt us. The church may uh, may do atrocious things. But if we're committed to Jesus, we have to stay committed to the church and seeing the church become increasingly faithful to her to her bridegroom. Jesus deserves a bride who is spotless, and He makes her spotless. Um, But sometimes it just doesn't feel like it because we get stuck in these failures and we don't allow them to make us spotless, do we? Christian spirituality is not individualistic. It's not just about you and Jesus alone and on a beach somewhere. It's communal. It's communal. And so maybe an extra extra application... For this passage it might actually be a commitment to the flock, which is caring for one another and learning with one another and walking alongside one another, as we all follow Jesus and march towards our destinies in Him. But for our faith and practice challenge this week, I'd like to do something a little bit um, a little bit different than that. I'm going to invite you to put your faith into practice by committing half an hour of your time sometime this week to do the following activity. Read this passage. John chapter 21 verses 15 through to verse 19, and put yourself in the place of Peter as you read it, and actually respond to Jesus when he asks questions. When he says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, actually respond to him as though he is speaking to you. Because here's the thing, he is. The scriptures read us as we read it, and Jesus speaks through them even today. He's asking us these questions, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you agape me? Do you phileo me? Do you love me? Allow Jesus to ask these questions of you so that so that. So that he might break your pride and humble you, so that when you get to the end of the passage, you can be at the end of yourself and be able to fully commit to what you are invited into. Two words follow me. Follow me. And you might be thinking, well, I wonder if other people are going to do it. I wonder what other people might say. We can continue reading about Peter turning to uh, the Apostle John uh, and, and saying, what about him, Lord? And this is oftentimes what we can do in our faith. We can point out to people and say, well, what about them? They're not broken. They're not humbled. What's their future going to look like? And is it going to be the same as mine? Is mine going to be better? And Jesus hears Peter say this and says, I want him to remain alive, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? You must follow me. In other words, don't compare yourself to other people. You do your following alongside other people who are following, but your journeys, while parallel, are going to be different. Jesus says to us today, Follow me. Which is a, an invitation to a journey, an invitation to living into God's kingdom today as we will in the future, an invitation to come to the ends of ourselves so that He can be shown great through His power at work in us. But we have to choose to follow. And so my prayer for you today and this week is that you would choose to follow, whether for the first time or whether anew um, for the millionth time. Let's choose to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth or to our ends on a cross. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you don't leave us where we're at Even though you meet us here, you meet us in our failure. You meet us in our brokenness, but you don't leave us in our failure. You call us out of it by your grace to a better future, a better present. And so father, I thank you that you are doing this this inviting to us today. I pray that you would do surgery on our hearts and in our minds to humble us and to deepen our dependence and our humility and our obedience to you. And as we read this passage and hear your voice this week through it, I pray that you would give us the courage to to look upon you, to hear your words, follow me, and to actually get up and start following